This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. secret PowerPoint presentation in anticipation of the January 6th premiere of BattleBots. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Jaeger Captain Ralph Schneider. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics news. I have five news items for you today. First up, BattleBots builders from across the country are converging this weekend in Norwalk, Connecticut for the 2021 Norwalk Havoc Championship. More than half of the 77 robots expected to compete on Saturday are captained by builders who've also competed on BattleBots by either captaining their own team or working on a pit crew. Among the Beetleweights, all eyes are on Sable's Captain Jameson Go, who has qualified with both Silent Spring and Silent X. Nipping at his heels are Pain Train Captain Evan Arias and Mad Catter driver Calvin Eba, running Shredded Bro and Lynx respectively. Not far behind, Ribot Captain David Jin and the rest of Team WPI are running Polywog, Narsal, and Silk. In the 12-pound division, Smart Money is on Sabe's teammate Lucy Dew, who stormed onto the scene this year with Hot Leaf Juice, which has taken home multiple golden dumpsters. The 30-pound division is topped by Slapbox Patriarch Dominic Yankaskis, who scrambled to build a total of 24 robots for the competition. He and his three kids have collectively qualified seven robots for the Norwalk Championship. Judges Dream, Dark Princess, Whittle by Whittle, Stop Hitting Yourself, Litterbox, Try Hard, and Dragon Princess. Staggering. The YouTube livestream begins at 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday with me, Kyle, Chris, and Lindsay working at the broadcast booth. Come check out the action with us and drop into the live chat to save hi. Um, I wanted to pause here, ask you guys uh, your thoughts on the Norwalk Championship. Do you have predictions, maybe a strong feeling about who's going to go particularly deep on Saturday? I just, I want to say this first. Sometimes I get home from work and I do the, the things, I, I feed the kids, I put them to bed, you know, I, I, uh, I finish whatever like last minute work things that I've got to get done. And I'm exhausted. And I might not clean my living room. And yet Dominic Yankaskis has built 27 robots this year for a Norwalk Havoc competition. Yeah. And the man just makes me feel bad about myself. I'm just saying. And I think two of them are ready. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chris, yes, you're right, Chris. Yeah, I, I feel like um, maybe Dominic is a victim of his own success. You know, um, I can't imagine running two robots at Nora Kavik. Um, you know, like uh, Jameson Go, I think, is going to be running three, which is a lot, you know. Um, but yeah, the Yankaskis family is going to be running seven. And they bring multiple copies of every single robot, which is madness. It's madness. Um, Total madness. But uh, I mean, good on them. Like this, they they have really come to define the sport this year, um, and their robots are incredible. So I I am really really looking forward to uh, to seeing how they compete this weekend. Agreed. Um, I am. I think in the three pound division, it's anybody's game. You know, um, it really could. There's so much good talent at the top there. Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, Jameson getting in with both Silent X and Silent Spring, that's that's a pretty tough nut to crack. But if you look at who they're growing up against, that's that's a really rough hill to climb for anybody. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to guess on that three-pound division. 12-pound division? If, uh, if Kalk, a.k.a. Waterproof Sealant, is there, um, then, you know, th- there's a, a really good chance that they could take the whole thing. If not, then I think it's Hot Leaf Juice's game. And uh, in the 30-pound division, there's a lot of people who could win it. But personally, I want Dragon Princess to win it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Agreed there. Uh, Chris, Lindsay, your, your thoughts? Um, I think that it will be very difficult to beat uh, Silent X. So uh, I think my, you know, Saw Bay identity maybe carries on <laughs> through Norwalk. But... Um, I mean, Silent X just generally does not lose. It is such a solid robot. It is uh, a real force to be reckoned with. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it'd be it would be kind of cool to see a surprise upset upset kind of like uh, with maybe maybe uh, Droopy last year. Droopy won, right? Yeah, they won. Droopy did win out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. Well, not out of nowhere. It's a devastating bot. <laughs> Yeah, they destroyed Lynx. I mean, like, that's, that's, uh, they are like the Lynx kryptonite. So it makes sense why they won. Lindsay, to your point, um, Silent Spring now has the same shuffler that Silent X does. Yeah, but Silent Spring did not, uh, handle it very well last, uh, last go around for whatever reason. Yeah, I know. And that is, uh, that sounds terrifying for whoever has to face that bot next, because you know Jameson's been obsessing it. That's a good point. So, <laughs> um, I, per- personally, if it had just done okay last time, that would be uh, the better outcome for anybody that has to face him. So to your point, Lindsay, I, that's a valid situation there. You know, two shuffler versions of the silent model from Jameson, that's going to be a tough nut to crack. Definitely scary. I, I think it can be done, but I... If I had to, you know, gun to my head, I had to bet, I think I would say, I'd probably say Silent X. But, I mean, you have a good point. Like, he does not make the same mistake twice. So, I'm sure whatever, you know, he identified as the issue in Silent Spring, he's going to, uh, you know, definitely be obsessing over over how to fix it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it would be so cool to see um like a droopy win again because they haven't really been um as uh like prevalent this this year's competition they showed up a few times and qualified but um 
I don't know. I, I'm just excited. I, I love all of them. I can't really say. I mean, maybe some I love a little bit less. Like, I don't know. But uh, no, I, I love them all. How about you, Chris? I don't know why I ended that so cryptically. Jeez, <laughs> um, it, you know, it's such a big field. It's, it's crazy because it's like the best of the best that are going to be here. I think it's going to be super exciting to watch the uh, the three-pound bracket. I am, um, ooh, geez. I, I mean, Lynx was so explosive when 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 we saw it last. Um, it's like, I, I that's like, that's my dark horse winner. Definitely, uh, you know, going to keep that one, um, you know, on my, uh, on my bet, on my betting tickets. Uh, of course, you know, um, you know, it's going to be great to see, of course, Silent, uh, Silent Spring. It's going to be great to see Silent X. I can't wait to see Billy fighting. Like this is this is going to be pandemonium. I'm 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 excited. Calvin Eba really drove like a bat out of hell last time. Like he was clearly so hungry to be to be able to qualify for the finals, and I imagine he's going to bring that same intensity um to December. I mean, he really like every single match left it all on the table. Yeah, and he really dialed in those saw blade wheels or those uh those like cleat wheels that he's been working on for wooden floors. Um you know, that was his biggest challenge is he needed that grip and uh they're so dialed in now. It's such a cool robot. I absolutely love that bot and I I want to see it go go far in this competition. For the 12 pound bracket, we uh we can't not mention Casey oh. and Casey Jeremiahson. Right? Yeah, that's 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 entirely possible. Um, also, uh, you know, maybe another early prediction for the twelve pounder, and that's first um, milk take uh, takes out kitten mittens, <laughs> then it takes out uh, Kimonote, then it takes out Bobby, of course, and then ultimately, <laughs> you know, in the finals, it's it's down to you know milk tank and caulk. And you know that Milk Tank is going to win at a bye in the finals because Cock's not going to face them. No way. No, they back out. They might just win yeah. in a bye every single round because I wouldn't want to face them. Right? Because like I get it. Yeah, I I, I hear you. They're a scary, scary team. Uh, how about in the thirties? You know, Chris, as someone who's now competed at that weight class, do you have predictions? Um, I'm excited to see, uh, Megadron fight, of course. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, uh, you know, jeez, of course, Dragon Princess is always a great show. Um, it's just so fun to watch things burn. We need more firebots in, in Norwalk stat. Amen. Um, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to this this weekend is just like no empty spaces in the bracket. And by that, I mean, you know, you can get through the first round or the second round or even the third and fourth round just through kind of the luck of the bracket. You know, like, oh, I faced a kid and then I faced uh, somebody who forfeited and now I'm finding myself in the third round and, you know, they're opponent their robots just dead you know and it like takes me a couple fights before i start to get into the really elite fights but you know you think about these like beetle weights like there is no fat at all in this um this field like it is just completely lean muscle every single matchup that i see it's gonna be great like right out of the box I think that there's some maturity still in the 12 pounds and the 30 pounds that still needs to shake out um but I think they are very quickly, I think 2022 is going to be 
probably our, our most, it's definitely going to be our most competitive year for 12 pounds and 30 pounds. Um, so yeah, I'm like really stoked. Cause like, I feel, you know, like there, there's other bots where like emulsifier, for example, you're like, Oh, you know, emulsifier was great, but what does it do against, you know, XYZ bot that fought earlier in the year on Saturday, those two bots are definitely going to fight. So like, um, yeah, I'm stoked. My money's on links. Uh, my money's on hot leaf juice. I think, I think that there's a good chance that the Yankaskas uh, family takes home the 30 pound um, trophy, just given the sheer number of bots that they that they're fielding, um, which would be great because I'd love to see them take that home. Yeah, that would be amazing, especially Annika. But I mean, really, any of them, they all put their heart and soul into it. I also want to mention Drew Davis, who I know qualified with a few bots. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, Chris and I and maybe you, Luke, we were all there for what was his first time competing like years ago at Havoc. Um, and to see, you know, how far he's been able to come fielding multiple robots now qualifying with multiple robots. I mean, he's really one of the the main, uh, I would say, builders for Norwalk. That's not like a, a huge presence at BattleBots itself. Um, cause like Evan Arias, you know, I, I think started at Havoc, but now he's on pain train or like captain of pain train. And I know Drew Davis was part of the pain train team this year too, but like he's on a captain of a battle bots, you know, team. He has really been grinding it out in this like lower weight class without like the fame and glory that comes with battle bots. And I think that, um, that's really something that he should be so proud of and, I would love to see him be able to compete on BattleBots with his, like, you know, story of his rise. Because um, he's, like, such a, an interesting builder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I, Drew Davis qualified last year. So, like, so last year was my first time announcing at Norwalk. And, you know, like, walking through the pits and kind of seeing all the, the robots was really, really cool. Um, and I, I got a chance to talk to Drew this time last year. And, um, it's cool to see that he's qualified now, you know, second year. And especially with so many robots, he just puts the time in, like he is really serious about the sport. He really understands the sport and he practices a ton. And I think we're going to see his kids take, um, you know, the sticks more often next year. I think he has a six-year-old son and one son that's a little bit older. Um, but that's like perfect age to really get them into, you know, driving, driving his control bot, perhaps, um, or maybe even a bot with a spinner. But uh, yeah, the the Davis story, I just absolutely love. Agree with you there, Lindsay. Okay, uh, on over to Wisconsin. We're still here in the news, <laughs> where Hydra Captain Jake Ewert is auctioning off the 2020 Flipper Manifold and Chain Guard off of his robot in two separate eBay auctions that end later today. If you're quick about it, it looks like you can grab yourself some autographed Hydra memorabilia at a very affordable price. As of Monday night, prices for both items stood at a little over $100 each. Speaking of merch, BattleBots is branching out beyond Amazon.com and has begun selling official BattleBots clothing at Hot Topic. As of last week, Hot Topic was even running a special deal allowing you to pick up three official BattleBots shirts for the price of two. Uh, middle school Lindsay would be very excited about this. <laughs> Bogo, awesome. 
Meanwhile, the most wearable merch is still being created by the individual teams themselves. This week, I personally picked up a technical T-Rex sweatshirt made to look like an ugly Christmas sweater. Check out the link on Witch Doctor's Facebook page. Very excited about this. And finally, Robot Wars Chunk Posting is again running a charity art competition to raise money for the Trussell Trust, a British nonprofit organization that's working to end homelessness and poverty in the UK. They're offering some amazing prizes this year, notably a private tour of the Scorpios workshop. Check out details by visiting the Robot Wars Shunt Posting group on Facebook. And that's it for this week's news. Hey, Luke. Oh, yes, Chris. How many Trussell Trusts could a Trussell Trust if a Trussell could trust trusts? Uh, I don't know. How many? Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, a Trussell Trust could trust a lot of Trussells if a Trussell Trust could trust Trussells. <laughs> I'll trust you on that. <laughs> And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Ralph. This interview is brought to you by Just Cause Robotics and friend of the pod, Seth Schaefer. Seth has competed in BattleBots with Bloodsport and in Season 6 with Retrograde. His goal is to make it easier for new builders to get involved in combat robotics through guides and tutorials and now custom products. If you're interested in learning more, check out his website at JustCauseRobotics.com. That's JustCuzRobotics.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, German combat robotics builder Ralph Schneider. Ralph is a well-known figure on the European combat robotics circuit and has been competing since 2015, notably on BuggleBots with his Beetleweights Angst and Phoenix, and later competing at the 2019 UWE Beetleweight Brawl event, where he took home third place. In 2020, he was selected to compete on BattleBots with Jaeger, but ultimately had to drop out due to COVID travel restrictions. This year, he was again selected to compete on BattleBots, but ended up arriving at the competition alone, after his teammates Andy Russell, Cosman Gorgovan, Jonas Fink, Charlie Dangerfield, and Ed Hodges were unable to make it to the competition. Without a full-time pit crew, Ralph got Jaeger into the box with help from Big Deal Captain Emmanuel Carrillo and team member Trent Wilson, as well as help from Slamo Captain Craig Danby and his team. We're looking forward to learning more about his bots in the hour ahead, so welcome to the show, Ralph. Hello. Hello. Uh, Ralph, I'm so happy that we're able to connect. Um, you know, I am really interested in the European combat robotics scene, and um, it's it's very active and also very mysterious for Americans, you know, because so much of what we do is concentrated on just one show. But in Europe, you have so many other shows. You have so many um, local competitions. It's a real treat every single time we get to talk to a combat robotics builder from Europe. So thank you very much for, for taking the time. I know it's also late for you. So so thanks again for that. Um, Ralph, I would love to start by learning a little bit more about yourself. So uh, let's see, you live in Germany. You're an engineer. I think that's all that I know. <laughs> Maybe you could tell me a little bit more. So like, okay, good. yeah, where, where in Germany do you live? And can you tell me a little bit more about your life outside of combat robotics? Um, yeah, um, I'm living in a, let's say I'm living in the middle of Nova. Uh, Nova um, in a town called Gemündner Main. That's a pretty small town with pretty much not, no bigger town in close proximity. 
maybe someone of you have heard of Würzburg, Schweinfurt or Schaffenburg. But let's just say pretty much in the middle of Germany, more or less. Hmm. Um, yeah, outside of combat robotics, um, yeah, I'm pretty much doing everything RC related. I've been, you could say, more or less born with a transmitter in my hand. Um, I believe I started uh, driving RC cars at the age of around three and flying RC planes at 10 years old. Wow. Yeah, and as as you said, I'm I've started a whole combat robotics craziness in around 2015 when I got fed up with a gluing balsa. Were you like a big Robot Wars fan growing up? You know, did you watch combat robotics? You know, as a kid. Um. Yeah, I, I actually watched it. That was part how how I got into it. Um, you know, a uh, robot. Battlebots was never aired in, well the old school Battlebots was never aired in Germany, but uh, Robot Wars was aired. It there's actually a, a German dub for it. I believe it was series three and four, maybe also two, and also some kind of European or German specials. And yeah, I watched that back then together with my one of my cousins. And yeah, and part of how I got into this hobby is. Um, I found those old VHS tapes in the drawer and wanted to see how this technology, first of all, what kind of technology was used back then and how it has evolved over the years. Because uh, from the RC planes and stuff, I knew what kind of revolution uh, uh, brushless and LiPo were there. And I wanted to see how that transferred to this robotic stuff. Awesome. So can you take us back to 2015? Um did you go to competitions before you built a robot or did you build a robot first and then find a competition to bring it to, you know, were you a fan um, before you were a builder or did you just jump straight into building in 2015? Um, 2015, this was right before BattleBots was renewed for the ABC season, just from timeline wise. I wouldn't say I was, I was a bit of a fan, but not really that hardcore fan type fan. Um, the switch to building was for me rather easy since I was used to building my own RC planes from plants and so on. And yeah, so the first competition I participated in or was also the first competition I went to. Um, the reason I only joined in 2015 and maybe not a bit earlier was that this was the first year I got the driver's license and was allowed to drive alone. Got it. Uh, all those competitions are quite far away. Um, most of them are in a region called Ruhrgebiet, at least the German ones. And that was like a three hour drive for me back then. So at first I built a 150 gram end weight, mostly from leftover seaplane parts like hacked servos and so on. The first one was actually out of balsa wood and the second iteration only from bed sheet metal. And yeah, since I felt like driving three hours for a 150 gram toy, let's say, didn't really feel worth it. So yeah, I built a, you could call it a hobby weight uh, in terms of weight classes. It's a, Let's say it's hobby weights with some dumb German specific extra rules that are supposed to make it more beginner friendly. 
essentially a, a HTTP box or with uh, two drills in it. It drove. Cool. Um, so we we have so I, I guess between 2015 and 2020, you know, it's like a pretty big jump to build from an RC kind of airplane robot. Um, all the way up to a heavyweight. Um, you know, were you building robots that were larger and larger in that time period? You know, I, I know that you went into to Beetleweights like pretty big um, with these UK competitions. You know, how many robots do you think that you built, you know, between 2015 and, and 2020? Um, a lot. <laughs> right. I'm not going to code end weights in here. Um, the first one was this Wedgeport Zero Eight Fifteen. Uh, then Surgeon, Lavenio, your Pro. I'll just able ten. Right. I'm too lazy to count, <laughs> but that number sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd forget some some robot anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that one of the things that I really was impressed by was the quality of your team, you know, your pit crew team. So many of them are famous um, European builders, like so famous that we've heard of them here in the US and we watch them obviously on Bugglebots and other competitions. Maybe can, can you tell us, can you tell me a little bit more about your team? You know, Andy, Cosman, Jonas, Charlie, and Ed. The thing is, I'd say the team has kind of formed around Cosman in a way. Um, I didn't have um, much contact with Andy or Charlie in advance. Um, I mean, we knew each other, but it's not like we were writing a lot uh, or, or having a lot of contact outside of the competitions. But yeah, with Cosman, we, we had a bunch of I had a bunch of technical discussions and so on. Yeah, at some point we. I, will, I was like, yeah, I'd like to go to BattleBots, but man, a heavyweight itself, that, that's just to just to pick um, for the workshop I have and so on. That doesn't really sound feasible. But maybe some kind of multi-bot or, or so, that, that might be possible. And then uh, Cosman was like, yeah, I know a guy who's also thinking like that. And I could imagine taking part in such a project myself and... That's kind of how the how the team was formed. Got it. Got it. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about each of these robots. So if I understand, you have an overhead saw robot, like the pink one, right? Then you have an undercutter, and you also have a drum spinner. So maybe we could go through each. Uh, so the overhead saw, maybe we could start there. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the overhead saw who designed it? Who built it? Some of the specifications. How much did it weigh? How fast can it go? Um, you know, like those types of things. Uh, kind of just uh, focusing on on the sawbot first. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's quite funny. If you look at the robots closely, you can definitely tell that they were built by three different persons. Their build styles are quite uh, different. Um, the overhead sawbot was built by me, also designed by me, and yeah, the, the idea was that each of the robots would be in a scaled up design from uh, from one of uh, our successful bots in the lower weight classes. <laughs> and at the time I had a quite successful bot on yeah, European 6 kilo like hobby weight class with an overhead saw. 
And so my role was to build this overhead saw bot. The general idea behind this bot was to to have an, a tank that can take a lot of damage. Having a weapon that can do damage is a nice bonus, but at the end of day, it's its purpose was to take the hits from uh, yeah the big hitters in the battle bots field. So the focus on this design was to build a really sturdy frame, and yeah, it is a welded steel frame um, because that's what works best for my for my workshop. Um, the, the parts for the frame are. There are some mild, mild steel parts in there for stuff where you know you had to uh, tap a thread or something like this or make some additional holes. But uh, the frame itself is, um, or most of the frame is Hardox 500 and Hardox 600. Um, the front wedge, I believe, is 10 millimeter Hardox 600, and the front armor is either 8 or 10 millimeter Hardox 600. So the most likely failure spot here, I'd say, is my crappy welding. Um, and then top speed on, on the robot, um, and then some of the like the size of its weapon, you know, those types of uh, specifications. Um, yeah, top speed. I'm not really sure because I did calculate it once, but uh, forgot where the Excel sheet is. It is pretty fast. Uh, all our robots are powered by those uh, China Special 6384s the, that you can get on eBay and you name it. Those without a brand name on them. And yeah, this was one point where we were a bit, uh, had a bit of a difference opinions in the designer if we should go single stage uh, spur gear reduction or some kind of custom gearbox and since i for myself chose to go uh, chose to set the design freeze earlier than my teammates i ended up with the single stage spur gear drive um yeah uh, drive controllers are some vesks and the weapon is essentially um I'd like to call it a really nasty featherweight on a stick. Um, the disc itself weighs around three three kilograms. Um, not sure what that's in. So I think that's just above six pounds. It is spinning, yeah, pretty much right at a 250 mile an hour time limit. It takes some time to get there, but it will get there, and it sounds nasty. Um, yeah, the disc itself, I believe it's 250 millimeter diameter and out of Hardox 600. And for the saw blade option, uh, we can swap in a lower KV motor so that it spins at a slower speed. And the saw blades, they are, the issue with saw blades at heavy, heavyweight level is you, you drive into a wall or something and they are immediately bent. Mm -hmm. So we opted to go for something that kind of looks like a saw blade and might cut something, but it's essentially four millimeter Hardox 500. Um, so maybe not the best thing for cutting, but it, its uh, fightability should be better than an off-the-shelf saw blade. And the arm is, um, yeah, it's also brushless and powered by first a planetary gearbox, a 
P80 going into an M-flow gearbox and then a chain onwards. So I believe it's around 60 or 70 RPM. And yeah, the disc shape and how much bite the tooth has has been calculated based on the RPM of the disc and the speed of the arm. So this was one of the challenges for designing a cluster bot. Um, when you have a heavyweight, uh, you you have a bit more room to go for a shape that has um, a maximum bite and so on. Because if you need more power, you can just make the weapon heavier or make it spin faster or something like that. But at a cluster bot, uh, especially one with heavy armor, you had to look where you distribute your weight. And so we went with only... So my approach was to go with only as much bite as I can really use according to the math and focus more on a shape that stores a lot of energy. Now, before before uh, we get into the other two robots, I'm curious, were the each robot, was it basically 80 pounds each? So like 80 plus 80 plus 80, like 240 pounds, and that got you to the heavyweight? Or, or are they 125 each? The 125 each. Uh, oh. Our approach was kind of to like a modular bot so that we can choose which ones go into the arena and yeah, to put our opponent at a disadvantage. Cool. I mean, at the end of robot combat, there's a lot about rock, paper, and scissors, and it's a bit of an advantage if you can choose two at the same time. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, moving on to the... Oh, sorry. Was there a name? Did you name your the, the overhead sawbot? Um... No, and the BattleBots producers uh, screamed at us for why we didn't name them. So we made up some <laughs> names on the spot. Uh, I kind of forgot uh, which ones they were, but Emmanuel <laughs> is mostly to blame for them. <laughs> I will find out when I see the show Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, um, let's, let's go to, to the undercutter, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about the undercutter? Who designed the undercutter? Who uh, built the undercutter? And can you tell us a little bit more about its, its design? Okay. For the undercutter was, um, built and designed by Andy Russell. Um, that's why I probably might get some things wrong or don't know some of the details. Um, yeah, the, the undercutter uses some drive gearboxes built by our teammate Cosman. And yeah, it uses the same drive motors. That's one of the few standardization, standardized parts that we actually could agree on in the end. Um, yeah, it is running on 12 as LiPo as the others. Um, I see. Again, here was the philosophy to scale up one design that uh, has been successful for him in the lower weight classes. Um, he is running a featherweight called Telekinesis. I believe there was just a competition in which he ran it this weekend, so yesterday. Um, yeah, um, the undercutter ended up also quite quite tanky. Like the front section of it, uh, which you can see on the pictures, is one huge uh, piece of billet aluminum. And the rest of the construction is uh, yes, some screwed on aluminum with some, yeah, um, yeah, an aluminum construction with screws and some, yeah, 
hard ox plates uh, also screwed on for the top armor or the rear armor um yeah the weapon itself is um we went uh, into the competition with multiple weapon options uh, they were ready f for the robot like a single tooth bar uh, also a disc and um, the bar with the two teeth you can see on the pictures uh, i hope i'm not wrong but i believe the bar each weighs i believe it was 10 kilos so it's actually quite heavy or, or not that lightweight so it's it's a serious weapon it is powered by two brushless motors uh, we are timing belt but it isn't geared for crazy crazy top speed um, I think that's around 2000 rpm um, while designing the weapon we actually used um, rotator kinda as a benchmark we found on some old reddit AMA ask me anything uh, how long his uh, what the diameter of his weapon discs was so we went slightly longer than that in case we have to fight him <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, rotators kind of two cluster bots and one robot. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then on to the the uh, the drum spinner. There's a lot of questions about the drum spinner because people were expecting the drum spinner to be in your team photos, and so there's some speculation that maybe you didn't run the drum spinner. You know, did the drum spinner arrive at BattleBots? Did you decide not to run with the drum spinner? Can you kind of tell us a little bit more about that decision? Yeah, um, the drum spinner arrived at BattleBots. Uh, it was there and there in the crate, in the UK crate at the bottom of it. Um, back when the shipping date was uh, for the robots, it was a bit, yeah, this whole um, NIE situation with the travel and so on hasn't been sorted out yet. So everything was shipped. And at some point it was clear that um, the Cosman couldn't go because of those travel restrictions. At this point, uh, it was still possible that Andy could maybe go. So at that stage, we we consider that, okay, if Andy can go and I'm there, then each of us uh, purchases one of the drum spinners and we build it, finish it at the event and compete with it. And yeah, that obviously didn't really work out. And it, when it was just me over there, we decided, okay, um, not to run it. Uh, first of all, the time to get it running it is a robot that I've only seen in pictures before. I've never worked on it and some of the build techniques might have been not familiar to me. And it would have required a lot of time and effort to to understand it and get it running. And also it is some other guy's uh, property. Um, essentially, I would have to to buy it in some way, which I'd say would, wouldn't really have been financially possible to buy two robots. And yeah, it, it also felt a bit, would have felt wrong to enter it also in the competition. So we decided to focus here a bit on, on the next season and yeah, keep it fresh for then. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Um, 
I, I wanted to move on to ask you a little bit more about the philosophy of running a multi-bot at BattleBots. Um, for for the fans, you know, they've seen Gemini, which has a three and ten career record, and the Four Horsemen, which has like a three and eight career record, and I guess kind of like the conventional thinking is that multibots have a lot of challenges at BattleBots just because they don't have as much kinetic energy in their weapons. Um, and they're kind of challenging to drive together, you know, cause you're, you have two people both operating weapons, you know, robots and, you know, sometimes they're not um, fully in sync basically. Um, and they really need to kind of coordinate and work together to, to be successful. So given kind of all of those challenges, can you talk about the decision to design a multi-bot and bring it to BattleBots? You know, did you expect that it was going to be challenging um, when you were initially designing these robots? Um, I mean, we know that um, a multi-bot isn't, is unlikely to win the nut. Uh, I'd say uh, traditionally multi-bots haven't done as well that well in... Uh, yeah, robot combat competitions, not only in BattleBots, but also in the smaller weight classes. Um, Cosmin has, had seen a decent success with his uh, multibot Vivo on BuckleBots and also other UK uh, competitions. So we felt like it is definitely to put up some possible to put up some good fights. Um, for us, this was more driven to by this, de this decision to go with a multibot was more driven by what kind of means we have to build the robot by our workshop limitations or what we feel is possible for us to build rather than um, yeah, the dream of the giant nut weaver somewhat realistic that it's going to be unlikely that we are going to win it. But we, our goal was to reach the championship at least in a regular season. That is what we felt is a realistic goal. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the very many, many listener questions and so many people sending great questions, I'm curious about your experience at BattleBots. So when did you realize that you were probably going to have to go to BattleBots by yourself? And then what was it like when you arrived at BattleBots by yourself, um, unpacking the crate, you know, were people, did they immediately jump in to help? Did you have to ask for help? You know, um, can you talk about how um, what what it was like, you know, setting up in the pits in in those first couple of days? Um, yeah, I believe I flew on a Friday, and around Wednesday or Thursday, it was clear for my teammates that they couldn't make it. Um, they started rescheduling their flights and so on for, uh, yeah, for next season. And at that point, we made a short phone call with uh, Greg. We told him we might have a plan to get Jäger into the arena, um, despite only one of us being able to go. And yeah, at that point, it was clear that that uh, it looks like it will be only me that I will be going despite all the others uh, not being able to make it. Um, yeah, it was a bit of a weird feeling during the trip. Um, uh, the first really big travel for me since quite a long time, since quite a bit of time. You're going alone into 
into a country you've never really been to uh, during a pandemic with some fancy special permit you got. Um, it definitely was a weird feeling. And yeah, while I was traveling, we uh, Craig Denby has had approached us uh, that he, well, he is the only guy I knew from from uh, from BattleBots that that I knew and met beforehand, and he offered his uh, support. He had asked the production to move our crates next to his pit table so that he can support us as best as as possible. And yeah, at some point, I believe in the middle of the night, I arrived at a hotel in, in Vegas. Obviously, I uh, uh, slept a bit and went to the venue the next day. Um, yeah, I had to sign a bit of forms here and there. It was originally planned that um, Andy Russell would be the teammate for this season. So I had to catch do a bit of catch up with paperwork and so on. Um, because they also do a background check. We were in a lucky situation that uh, I was planned to be the team captain for last season. And so I already had a backup uh, check done and only some this one year had to be checked. Yeah, and back there we obviously had the two crates. I think I first started I was unpacking my own crate since I know what's in there and what, how to assemble the robot and so on. But really during the first days, uh, Craig Danby was the biggest help, help of them all. He helped uh, open the crate, assemble the robots. So first uh, Craig finished his, uh, finished Slamo, got uh, Slamo through tech and everything. And then he and his team pretty much focused to getting on getting Jaeger ready, uh, the undercutter robot. They helped assemble it and essentially they guided me through the whole uh, inspection process. Like you first have to get your uh, internal inspection done, getting your batteries approved for the fights, and then later on the functional tests in the arena. Um, there was a, yeah, a bit of an a scary moment during the tech check of the undercutter because uh, when we put in the the key to act or oh, two two weird stories uh, from the tech inspection i believe the the hammer saw jaeger uh, is using removable links uh, one of the very few robots at battlebots so uh, the lady who inspected the robot actually wasn't really sure how to handle this and had asked for her superior uh, to have a look over it if that is all done, all right and so on, which it was, of course, and we passed. And for the functional test, uh, when we first powered up the, the undercutter, there was a massive arc towards the, towards the key. And this was because there was some kind of wire not, not, uh, isolated quite well and had contact to the frame and shorted uh, the 12S LiPo through the, uh, through the key. So there was no no fire or anything. Uh, it just on, almost burned through the key to turn on the robot. 
And yeah, um, the Slimo team was again a great help to investigate on this issue. And I hope I don't get my my names mit mixed up. I believe with, I believe it was Jason Brown who who helped a great to to fix the wiring and improve it. I uh, and then so I, I also heard that uh, Emmanuel Carrillo helped out, and you know the big deal was was a big help. Um, you know, at, at what point did did he reach out to help? And um, can you tell me a little bit more about his involvement with uh, with Jaeger? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure which direction who asked whom to help here, because really, um, we all, I can't drive two robots at once. That that won't work. So we needed a second driver for the undercutter. Um, since this robot was um, built by by Andy, um, he yeah he obviously could decide who would it be, and so he I believe he reached out to Emmanuel because he's a pretty good driver, and I believe Big Dill was only only a reserve, but don't quote me on that. Um, yeah, so essentially that's how we found him. During the first days, he was still quite busy with uh, the finishing touches on Big Dill. So during those days, I'd say most of the help came from the Slamo guys and a little bit also from two guys from the Gigabyte Cobalt team. Um, yeah, he helped later on uh, when when it came to setting the radio on, his, on the robot and I'd say for the fixes during the competition. I just realized something while talking that I'd, I'd like to mention yet. I mentioned earlier that uh, Andy that Andy was scheduled to be the yeah team captain for Jaeger this season. This was because um, when the filming dates were announced, it looked like I wouldn't be able to go. Because uh, the date for my second shock of vaccine was supposed to be right in the middle of filming, and, it, and you could say it took a major change in Germany's vac vaccination policy to get me to BattleBots. <laughs> Otherwise, that would have failed as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'd love to jump into the listener questions. Almost every single listener sent in multiple questions, so um, <laughs> so a lot of these, you know, there's two or three or four part questions. Um, but let's start with some very good questions from BattleBot superfan Alexander Archer, who asks, how does it feel being the first German BattleBots entry to compete on the show? How does it feel to be basically the first German captain to uh, to compete on BattleBots? Um, yeah, uh, good question. How did it feel? Um, I don't know. There was definitely some feeling of having the yeah the pride of your pride of your nation on top of your shoulders like uh, you don't want to blame yourself totally on an international stage especially now that um battlebots at least the first two seasons are available on netflix over here in europe um yeah so you didn't really want to put shame on on your country and make future viewers uh, yeah, proud so Essentially, you didn't want to blame yourself. Got it. Yeah. 
Um, Alexander also wants to know what happened to the NIE visas that caused your other teammates to miss filming. Um, you know, you're the first first builder we've talked to who ran into these NIE visa problems. You know, um, I, from what I understand, they couldn't get the U.S. embassy to sign off on the visas due to COVID. Is that right? Um, I'm not quite sure what in the end has caused this to fail. Um... I mentioned earlier that for a long time it didn't look like uh, I would be able to go. Uh, so BattleBots was collecting all these informations to apply for the for the NIEs via their via um, a travel agency with whom they partnered. At some, and their point of contact was some central office in the U.S. somewhere. Um, apparently there is a, um, so, so as I mentioned, I was a bit late on this whole thing because for a long time I didn't think I would be able to make it. So essentially I decide, I looked up the process, how to submit it and yeah, then decided to try it myself for this. I just needed, um, yeah, approve. Um, an official letter from BattleBots and I submitted this at my local embassy in Frankfurt. Um, at this point my teammates and everyone else had already submitted their data to BattleBots. This was somewhere around June. I'd say when the COVID cases were still were still quite low but they were beginning to rise. So after maybe one week or so I got my I got my feedback, okay, you're allowed to enter the US, you're fine, good. So essentially I was the first one to get the approval. The others uh, have applied for it via that uh, travel agency at some central bureau somewhere in the US. And apparently there was like a rule, you're only to submit these applications like uh, one month before um, the people enter the country, which in my eyes is totally stupid because the NIE is valid for one year. And yeah, and the, let's say in the week before the, we didn't hear uh, feedback from them for a long, long time. Uh, this one month have, has passed uh, or so, or it was cl getting close to the deadline and still no feedback. There were some teams uh, getting the feedback that their NIE has had been rejected. I believe Peter was among the first to know. Um, but in fact, my teammates actually never heard back anything. We asked uh, Greg several pretty much daily, is there any feedback, is there any feedback? But apparently there was never any feedback. So maybe it was caused by um, higher COVID cases. It could have been that also the whole Afghanistan situation was around that time and this office was just busy with other topics. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I'd say um, I got lucky. Yeah, that's good. Um, we've got a couple of questions from retrograde team member Seth Schaefer. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, because you built the, uh, the saw bot, maybe these are easy questions for you to answer, but... Uh, which of the three bots is your favorite robot to drive? Well, I haven't driven. Well, I actually have driven the undercutter, but not the drum spinner. 
but I've driven the soundboard and it, I think it really drives well. In general, this whole overhead saw design, I think it drives great in terms of a weight distribution and so on. You can really throw it in a, into a corner and then it drifts a bit. And I really like to drive that, especially now with the weapon arm, you can toy a bit with the weight di distribution. Um, so you, when you push an opponent, you can, for example, put the uh, arm backwards to get more traction on your drive wheels to push your opponent. And I like driving those. Yeah. Um, which of the three bots is the easiest to repair? I guess maybe which of the two bots? <laughs> Not mine. Not yours. The undercutter is easier to repair. Definitely. Um, um, mine has a welded frame, which would be somewhat easy to repair if I have my workshop, my angle grinder, my, my welder and unlimited amount of time. But in a BattleBot scenario where you have to fix it in a rather quick, quick way uh, with slightly limited uh, tool access, it's much easier to remove some screws, slap in a spare part, good to go. Uh, so the undercutter was definitely easier to repair. Got it. Seth's final question is, which of the three bots was the easiest to design? That's um, but I'm not really sure on that one. The drum bot was, a, from what I reckon, had a few challenges with the drum designs um, because it essentially has this stacked up disc connected by bolts kind of like back to pearl and it apparently in there i think it was quite tricky to get um, reasonable wall thickness in these discs uh, while also having those big massive screws to hold them together and a decently sized shaft um i don't know yeah um, it, it is tricky because i only designed one of them and not the others right yeah. Um, was was your robot easy to design? Yes. I, I don't know. I'd say it's definitely the pinnacle of what I have designed in my robot career. Yes. Um, it was uh, quite difficult to find a shape, a compact shape around the electronics so that you don't have um, too much internal space, but uh, uh, too much uh weight wasted i don't know it, it was a lot of work to design it yeah. that's definitely true definitely true yeah uh we're gonna go on to a mammoth team member brandon bennett young who writes hey ralph it was great being able to chat with you at battlebots can you tell us more about the first machine that you built um and how did it perform in competition um so your your very first robot all, all the way back in 2015 how how did it compete uh in, in competition okay the very first robot i designed was um or built it was um 150 gram robot there were some let's say iterations before i made it to the competition which um from which it developed from as i said i come from an rc plane background so the very first uh, prototype it was actually made from balsa wood and um, I think FR4 um, circuit board material and then covered with some glass fiber um, cloth and resin and so on. 
then the version that made it to the competition was an was made from um, aluminium sheet metal. It was like a. It started out as a lifter robot, but it couldn't self-write. So added, I added a, an, an additional servo, servo to make it a grabber. And yeah, it did quite well. It actually won its first competition. Um, but I have to say the 150 gram scene in Germany isn't as scary as in the UK or so. Most people do this do this weight do this weight class to have a little bit of fun next to the big big robots, but not many do it with the intention to really win. But yeah, I was glad I it it was doing really well. This was still with uh, the hacked servo electronics and the speed hacked servos. It took like ages to prep one of those servos, and they lasted right up in, until the competition. And I think. Um, started to break uh, in in one of the whiteboard fights later on. Mm. Of all of the machines that you've made since 2015, which one is your favorite? I really like Phoenix because it, I, I mean, it's it's a generic word if we are honest, but I feel like it just got the geometry right. Maybe part of it was by accident, but the geometry is right, so it's really a lot of fun to drive doesn't try to too much and yeah and then uh brandon's last question was what's been your favorite fight of your career so far not talking about battlebots fights obviously because that's under nda still but um before battlebots you know um your favorite fight so far um i'd say my favorite fight was at uh, fmb uh, dutch robot games collaboration event it was uh, with my six kilo overhead soundboard uh, surgeon against the drum spinner Otis built by Steph. Steph would have been on the um, ominous team and was part of the reality team. He's responsible for all their gorgeous machining. Uh, check out his YouTube channel. He has he has essentially built himself a five axis CNC machine at his at home. And yeah, he had this. Uh, he at the time he was running this really uh, gorgeous drum spinner, and this was a this was a great driving match. It went the full three three minutes. No, no robot broke down. It it was all aggression all the time. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. We have a question from a robot. Uh, Scorpios wants to know: Is drinking Jaeger a requirement to drive Jaeger? And I guess for the kids who are listening, Jaeger is uh, an alcoholic drink called Jaegermeister. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, yeah, is, is drinking Jaeger a requirement to drive it? Uh, I can't speak for the others, but I certainly do enjoy it. <laughs> 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 it's among my favorite alcoholic beverages. We didn't seriously approach the sponsorship reason because I I think BattleBots would reject that anyway. Yeah, that's that's actually part of why we chose uh, the name Jaegers due to that alcoholic beverage. Uh, we knew that Americans would be somewhat familiar with pronouncing the name. Mm. Uh, at first, we wanted to go by some German musical beast or something like that, but we figured out no one could pronounce it, including ourselves. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Every single college student knows how to say Jaeger, that's for sure. Um, all right. 
Uh, friend of the pod and fellow podcaster Curtis Honeycutt wants to know if you had the opportunity to, f- to fight any other bot for one match. So kind of what's your dream matchup? Which bot would you choose? From battle bots, right? Battle bots or a different competition, perhaps. I mean, did you have a dream matchup? One that you think this would be really fun. I could definitely win. You know, what one of those? I know that my answer here will be different from pretty much the rest of my teammates. But I would have loved to fight with my overhead sawbot against some scary horizontal spinner like Tombstone or something like that. Just to see how much of a brick it really is. Yes. I want to see if well I want to see how good my welds are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew Freetag has the uh, opposite of this question and he asks is there a match at BattleBots that you'd be really afraid to go up against you know somebody who you would would not want to face inside of the battle box I'd kind of say huge because it is um, really hard to hit yeah I might have to reverse my answer for the previous questions. I'd really love to also to fight a flipper because I'd love to see my robot hit the ceiling for some reason. I'd love to see what happens in there, <laughs> like Hydra. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we got a question here from Jonathan Clark, who competed on Malice at um, BattleBots this year. He also builds Billy, you know, at Norwalk Havoc. Um, and Jonathan wants to know, uh, did you have a good time, even though uh, you had fewer teammates than you were expecting? Yes, definitely. As bizarre as it sounds, it might have helped in some way that it made it even easier to socialize with the American builders. And I also remember drinking a few beers at a hotel pool together with Jonathan. Yeah. So I believe he was there also. So he already knew the answer. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jonathan's other question is, how is the combat robotics scene in Germany? So, you know, you were saying that there are some smaller competitions in Germany. Can you tell us, you know, how many how many competitions are there in Germany? How many other builders are there um, in, in your country? Um, usually there are, we have two competitions in Germany, one around April at the Intermodel World Fair and one at the Maker Fair in Hannover at some point in the summer. And at the end of the day, we have to include the the Dutch competition as well, since it's kind of like one big se- one scene. Uh, they have another competition, usually around November at the Facts Fair in Belgium. Um, there are definitely less builders in the in Europe than in the U- in the than in the US I'd, or the UK. I'd say, therefore, the competitions are also smaller and. I'd say there are a lot of people who are just doing it to have a good time rather than to win anything. So I'd argue the UK and US competitions are more competitive in that regard. My my dream is to uh, go to every combat robot competition across the planet. Like I would love to go to Germany and see all of the competitions. You know, I'd love to travel to India and, and see their competitions, go to Brazil, see their competitions, um, Australia. Um, yeah, like I, I'm really actually really fascinated by the, the local scene in every country. Um, so yeah, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you'll see me at a German competition at some point in the future. Um, <laughs> yeah. One thing I, I have to add here is that, um, 
over here in Germany, our arena at this point is a bit outdated for what we're fighting. So you see, we're usually fighting featherweights and raptorweights, which which is a kind of hobby weight with some stupid extra rules. And yeah, the arena was built maybe 10, 20 years ago. And so we have to limit somewhat the spinners. We are looking into building a new arena, but uh, this is on hold due to the crazy steel prices right now. Um, so if you want to see the crazy spinner action, the Dutch events are are better are the better ones to spectate for right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm supposed to go to uh, to the Netherlands later uh, next year. So yeah, maybe I'll. I'll see if I can coincide the trip with the, the competition. That'd be pretty fun. Um, we've got yeah. Maybe you're going to talk to Tim later on. He he knows all about the Dutch scene. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, we've got some good questions from Richard Sum, who wants to know next year. Hopefully, if you have a full team, is your plan to run three robots? Um, <clears throat> you know, do you do you want to uh, to make sure you know do, do you basically want to have that that drum spinner in um in your deck um so that you can you know uh run it if you, if you had a full team um that's definitely the right now the plan is definitely to yeah apply again for the next season in a similar style as this year with the three with the three robots uh the drum spinner the undercutter and the overhead saw but f- um, based on the experiences made this season, there are some upgrades planned for them. Uh, second question from Richard. He says, hypothetically, if you had a fourth robot, you know, what type of robot would you want to bring to the competition? It's a bit weird since there are lots of robots I'd like to build, but I'd kind of like to build a vertical spinner in that weight class to scale up Phoenix a bit, like an all-out attack word, uh, minimal armor, all weapon. Cool. Like really a damage dealer. Uh, we've got some good questions from Andre Cruz, who asks, what are the robots that inspired you to compete? Did you see a robot, you know, back um, back in the in the past that made you think, that's really cool, I want to definitely do this? I'd say the closest to it would be, um, I'd say maybe Black Hole 2. Uh, no, Black Hole, the one that was on the German robot was seen because of uh, the, but that was uh, maybe the robot that led me through the labyrinth called the internet to find the the scene that is still ongoing. Um, I don't know. It, it feels like I went there quite open-minded. Yeah. But as a child, I was definitely a Panic Attack fan. Um, and then Andre's other question is: Do you have a favorite robot from pop culture? This was a hard question to answer on the BattleBots homepage. Um, and I know I regret, regret the answer I put there, but I forgot which the better answer was that uh, came into my head. So I believe the answer I I put on the BattleBots homepage was some kind of mecha from an anime, but I I totally forgot that there was some kind of super obvious answer which I forgot again, and would have been better. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um, we have uh, two questions from friend of the pod, Rara Granger, uh, you know, uh, a British builder who I know that you um, 
competed against at BattleBots. Uh, she wants to know, will you ever forgive Splody Boy for the bad times at BattleBots? No. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it, Rain. Uh, you know, uh, Rara. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want a rematch. <laughs> want a rematch? There you go. Um, and then were there any dumb ideas that never made it into the final bots on Jaeger? So do you have any, uh, any worse ideas, you know, that, uh, that you killed earlier in the process? Well, I tried to run brushless rage on the weapon first. It caught fire mm. twice. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, all right, and then uh, well, we're going to end this uh, interview with some really excellent, deeply philosophical questions from BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr, who wants to know, what was the inspiration behind Jaeger's aesthetic? I love your logo so much. That logo uh, was commissioned, uh, Charlie commissioned some artist for it. Yeah, I don't quite know what uh, inspiration for it was. I think the three heads, because three robots, obviously, we wanted to go with, uh, with the, these colors for it because they are bright and would look good inside the arena. Or that's at least our expectations. And the animal stripes and so on it was kind of like, um, yeah, like a tiger or something. The thing that I never really told my teammates is that Jäger translated uh, would actually be the hunter, so the guy that hunts the animals. So, but it looks good. It looks good. <laughs> yeah it looks great it looks great um then she asks what was the most stereotypically american thing that you saw in las vegas i imagine in las vegas there were a lot of stereotypically american things i i always think of like you know when you're when you're in vegas and you see the billboards for like oh shoot machine guns you know <laughs> at uh at our gun range or you know I won't comment on the billboards because uh, I suppose this uh, show is going to, supposed to be child friendly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, those ones too. Yeah. yeah. Um, in in Vegas, what one of my favorite restaurants, uh, just because it's so American, is the Heart Attack Grill, where um, they have a big scale outside, and you step on the scale to see how much you weigh, and I think if you weigh more than three hundred and fifty pounds, you can eat for free. Nice. Um, well, obviously, it just I... doesn't make any many difference for me, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. right, yeah, um, yeah. I feel I feel like Las Vegas is kind of like just supercharged America. Like it, the rest of the country is not like Vegas. I, I hope know, a that bunch you of know. the American builders <laughs> told me that like Vegas is a separate place. It doesn't represent America. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, did you did you have any culture shock? I guess when you went to Vegas, was there anything that you saw that was seemed really weird? I have to say it. Well, it st essentially started at the airport because at the gate at the gate when I left it, there were already slot machines there. There are slot machines everywhere in Vegas. Yeah, that is unusual. I yeah, I know it felt a bit like Vegas is really that one of odd place. Yeah, it is. Yeah, even for Americans, Americans think that too. Um, she has a, a good uh, question here. Is there anything that the American combat robotics scene could learn from the German or EU scene and vice versa? Is there anything from the European scene that, um, that they could learn from the American combat robotics scene? What the Americans could learn from the European scene, I'd say 
have more fun, care less about winning, just enjoy the time with your mates there. Yeah, yeah. And the other way around, yeah. uh, what could the European... I'm specifically uh, talking about continental Europeans here, not the UK guys. Learn how vegetables work. Mm. Right. I'd argue uh, most people over here don't get that. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, she writes, they often say that firstborn children are perfectionists, middle children are people pleasers, and the youngest children are free-spirited goofballs. How would you rank each of your multibots in Jaeger? So like, which one is the perfectionist, which one is the people pleaser, and which one is a goofball? I'd say the perfectionist is the drum spinner, or would have been the drum spinner. And... Um... The people pleaser. Yeah, I'm a bit torn between those two since I kind kind of go into the similar direction. But I'd say people pleaser to some regard. The the overhead sawbot, since my motivation for going battlebots is mostly to to put on a good show. Right. Either way, how it goes. And yeah, the odd, I think the last one was the goofball and. Yeah, you could say that's the undercutter because um, those horizontal spinners are always getting chaotic. Yeah, yeah. So that would kind of fit. Good answers, yeah. Um, she asked about pants. She said, have you ever considered asking Dragon Slayer where they got their pants for next year's uniforms? I think you could give Hypershock and Hijinx a run for their money if your full team showed up in zebra pants to match your robots. That's a good idea. And also a fun fact that we forgot to mention. We never at the point of filming had our uniforms. Oh. They were supposed to come with our UK, t UK team um, because we had a sponsor for it, um, sign it. Oh, no, no, was it sign it? I know, I believe it was someone else, sorry. And yeah, the, we shipped them with one of the, let's just leave it at major uh, shipping companies. They were supposed to be on the first day of filming or one day before. They arrived two days afterwards, so the official Jäger, um, Jäger team t-shirt is the blue and yellow Battlebots shirt from a few seasons <laughs> ago. <laughs> right, right. Um, so wait, did you have zebra like stripes? Did you have animal print on your your team, your official team uniforms? No, it would have been pretty boring. Um, uh, just some gray shirts with uh, our sponsor logos and team logos on it. Yeah. But we had those crazy concepts at some point last year. Back then, we would have had a, a sponsor for those uniforms and they would have been like uh, this color coding with blue, cool. with blue, green, uh, purple, and then some black zebra striping over that. That's really cool. Well, Ralph, I'm so glad that you had a good time at BattleBots. I know that the season is going to premiere here in North America in just a couple of weeks. I am really, really looking forward to seeing Jaeger in the BattleBox. This has been such a great interview, and I really hope that, um, and I, I agree with you, you know, I, I really think that 
the American scene can um, have a bit more fun kind of injected into it. And it's really cool that um, you were able to bring some of that fun German flair, you know, from, from Europe. So I want to thank you for, um, for competing this year. And I hope to see you, uh, you know, I hope to see you accepted in the, uh, the competition next year, but um, thanks very much for, for talking with us, Ralph. Um, and I uh, looking forward to, uh, to seeing your robot soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was also fun to talking to you, and yeah, also lo obviously looking forward to see the fights. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to Italia, where researchers have built a robot that will try to piece together a complex puzzle using artificial intelligence. The robot will start by putting together a fresco from the ancient city of Pompeii that fell down in 2010 following a heavy storm. If the robot is successful, it'll move to a second fresco that fell down hundreds of years ago. The challenge there is that archaeologists have no idea what that fresco originally looked like, kind of like trying to solve a puzzle with thousands of pieces and no box. The robot was built with soft, humanoid hands, <laughs> capable of picking up pieces of broken fresco tiles, scanning them and running them through a computer to figure out where they might go. Um, so this one sounds a little bit less nefarious than like, you know, self-replicating robots and until you uh, got like... to the soft humanoid hands. <laughs> yeah, that part's a little weird to me. It took me by surprise, I'd say. I'm surprised they didn't throw the word supple in there. <laughs> Who's they, Chris? Who's they? Obviously, uh really, really interesting Italian robot roboticists. <laughs> um on the soft, supple, humanoid hands, uh, to that point, <laughs> the article I was reading made a really interesting point about this, where they said they might commercialize the, this technology in the future. So you could put on this um, glove on your hand and everything you touch will um, it, it'll like gather data on that, like data that your brain can't process or wouldn't process so like i could pick up an object and it would the the glove would know exactly how large it is um or i could hold it in my hand and it'll tell me how much it weighs um like its temperature like that kind of stuff um which i think is kind of cool like you know gloves of the future could it tell you if your cantaloupe is ripe oh i bet it could <laughs> yeah that'd be good i, I want some you know cantaloupe pants I, I think that's a great brand name you know just for cantaloupes. Gotta get two pairs. <laughs> Do you remember, um, I don't know, maybe, was it even 10 years ago? Maybe around that mark. Um, there was like an Italian painting, like an old, old, old Italian painting, I think in a church or, or somewhere historic that had been fading. And so a woman took it upon herself to take the painting and touch it up. Oh, you're talking about the Jesus thing. Oh, was it a Jesus painting? It was a Jesus painting, yes. And it was a mural. Like, I, she didn't <laughs> take it home. <laughs> but then, like, her touch-ups really just made it um, uh, horrific. <laughs> it went from, like, a like an, a master oil painting to a paint with paint with colors and, and numbers. <laughs> it's one of my favorite 
human stories of all time. And I hope that uh, this robot, you know, can rise to that level of craftsmanship. I'm I'm staring at photos now of this uh, this Jesus restoration, and it's still making me laugh. You guys, just just look like the oval for an uh, for like a mouth. It looks like a kid did this. All right, here's the deal: fake it till you make it in any career except art restoration. <laughs> I have to... Oh, God, it's so bad. (laughs) I encourage everybody, even if you are familiar with this story, but especially if you're not, um, just type in uh, Jesus Portrait Restoration, and it is the first thing that pops up. And, man, it's so bad. (laughs) I love it so much. It can't even be real. It looks so great because it's um, it looks like a like like this poor person has like a lion's mane but alien eyes, <laughs> and the world's thinnest nose. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's an owl face, uh, with a porcupine head, and it's just it's on top of it's attached to a bear body. <laughs> You know what? I'm convinced. This is why we need robots. Every, uh, you know, skepticism that I've had before, every concern, every doubt, it's now completely obliterated because we need robots to save us from people like who did this art restoration. I'm sold. And that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. 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 Check out Norwalk Livestream. Bye.